Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. Week one might have been slightly short on big time matchups, but week two is going to deliver in a big way, guys. Tons of big games this weekend. You've got Texas and Alabama. You've got A&M heading to Miami. You got the Cyhawk game, Notre Dame, NC State, a ton of games to choose from. So make sure if you haven't already signed up for a brand new account at MyBookie so you can get in on the action as well. It's simple. Just go to MyBookie.ag, use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on whatever your first deposit is. Again, that's promo code UGA at mybookie.ag. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and back with me today to answer our very first batch of listener questions during the 2023 season is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And before we get rolling here today, I do want to also quickly remind you about our new Glory UGA YouTube channel. Thank you to everyone who has already subscribed, who's watched the videos, liked the videos. That is so sincerely appreciated. But I also know there are a lot of you listening out there that have not done so yet. So if you enjoy this podcast, I'm telling you, you want to go ahead and subscribe to our new Glory UGA YouTube channel. You're going to get a bunch of content that I can't really quite give you here on this podcast. It doesn't really translate like video breakdowns, and I am just putting the finishing touches on our first video breakdown of this 2023 season. What I have done is I've gone and I charted every single drop back of Carson Beck's in that first game against UT Martin to see if his performance really was as uninspiring as some fans out there would want you to believe. And I think you guys will really enjoy that video, so give that a watch. Like, subscribe, it is greatly appreciated. But let's get to the good stuff that you all came here for today. And look, I know, guys, I know games like we just saw last weekend are pretty anticlimactic. And as I said earlier in the week on the recap episode, we are really limited in what those types of games can teach us about our team. And it's it's never advisable to draw hard and fast conclusions from a game like that, especially one that happens to fall as the first game of the season. But... That certainly did not stop the questions from pouring in this week. And of course, as is always the case, we have some great, insightful questions to answer. And I already know that those of you who listen to this podcast, I know that you know ball, but it always shows with the type of questions that we get. So thank you to everyone who sent in a question this week. If you didn't, we always encourage you guys to do that. Never be a stranger. This show is for all of you, and we want your voice heard on here as much as possible. But all right, Curtis, with that being said, let's do it, man. Let's dive into this mailbag, and we're going to start with our big picture questions, as we always like to do. And up first, we've got a great question from Lawrence. Lawrence says, as the old saying goes, the biggest improvement a team makes is from game one to game two. Of course, we've all heard that. Lawrence, you're exactly right. So Lawrence asks, with that in mind, what do you hope to see the dogs improve on the most from game one to game two? Kerr, I'm going to let you take this one off the top. First and foremost, you have to talk about just kind of cleaning things up. You know, I, I didn't I wasn't on the Sunday episode, but, I, you know, I kind of do believe offensively for the most part. The offensive line did struggle, but they weren't always put in the most successful position to win. But when they are in a position, I think that they need to go out there and execute. I think across the board, that's what you ask for is just to clean up the sloppy mistakes, miss blocks, miss tackles, things like that. And even coaching wise, you know, um, to a degree, I kind of want to see us not always play everything so conservatively when we're not playing a good opponent. And I think that especially I, I, I believe that, especially right now when you're breaking in new quarterback and new players on the offense, especially in the skill position, as we hold others out right now, you've got to get these guys comfortable. And I don't, and I feel like they didn't do a good job of doing that the whole game last game. So that's kind of one thing I really want to see is just 
our coaching be better? Um, Let me ask you a question about that because I think that's a fair question or a fair concern. But there's got to be a balancing act there, right? Because you are playing an, over, an overmatched opponent that you should be able to beat without using your entire playbook, right? Yeah. And you don't want to show everything to everyone. I, I do, especially to me, it's situational stuff like red zone, third down stuff. Like you don't want to show all of because that's usually when you save your best plays because those are the critical third moments. Down. Yeah. No, so I you, agree. I think like, my how do you balance that out? Because you don't want to show everything, but you, but you're right. You also want to make sure these guys have a chance to go out and run the offense that they're going to be that they're going to be expected to run throughout the season. Well, my biggest thing is like, okay, they're stacking the box. Why would you? continue to run into a heavy box you don't have to show your whole playbook to at least attack the edges and i think that's what they need to do a better job of you can you don't have to get special you know do special plays or run your whole playbook but you do have to i mean you and i were talking about it during the game what are you supposed to do when the numbers aren't in your favor um and, and i think that's part of coaching is at least putting your guys in a position where they can succeed yeah i do think a lot of the criticisms of Mike Bobo are overblown coming from this game because there are some people out there Curtis who who are convinced that like we just ruined our entire program like we're, we're gonna be a sinking ship because Kirby hired Mike Bobo yeah I don't of I think course, that's you a little always much. get those overreactions I mean yeah of course and that's and I know that's the vocal minority I mean I know considering not, we didn't do anything last year we had Stetson who goes on to be a Heisman finalist and we scored three points in the second half against Samford um, yeah. We didn't look great against yeah. Kent State. So, I mean, it's just – it's very – And that's actually going to bring us to our second question. So, I'm going to hold those – let's hold those thoughts for question number two because that's what it's specifically about. But I, I'm, I'm with you there, man, on that one. But going back to, like, the idea from Lawrence here and what do I hope to see from the dogs. I think you're right, Curtis. Like, there was just a general level of sloppiness in this game. That was across the board. I think that was offense, defense. I know we only gave up seven points. Stars did not give up a single point, but we should honestly they should never even come close to scoring period because we're just that much better. That was a really well coached team. Obviously they were outmatched from a talent standpoint, but that is a team. I think they're Ohio Valley. They've won their conference multiple times the past couple of years. That's a well coached team, and they're like we had to go out there and do things and execute well. Like they, you know, all those like when we play teams like this, course, a lot of times the the big like crooked scores come from mistakes that they make. Like they blow assignments. It's, you know, those kind of things. They didn't really do that all that much, or it's maybe a play here or there, but we had to go out there and make plays and earn it. And that's why maybe you didn't see the explosive halftime scores you might see typically in some of the games like this, because they're just a really well-coached team. But that doesn't mean that, you know, we executed the way that we should execute across the board. We didn't. There were some plays on defense, some angles, um, discipline on the edges. I was kind of frustrated with offensively, sometimes on our offensive line, um, maybe a a certain freshman left tackle um, quite a bit, didn't exactly know who to block. And that was a little bit frustrating, but to be expected to some degree because it is his first start. So you're right. I think the crispness in general, we need to clean that up. Absolutely. And you kind of expect that to some degree in the first game because it has been nine months since they play like a real actual football game outside these scrimmages, which we try to emulate a game setting. That's not the same thing, obviously. You don't have the whole stadium full of crazy, rabid Georgia fans. So I'm with you on that. Here's something I would I would say also, kind of more a general look. I would, I think just executing the passing game, Curtis, to me, like if I'm going to be actually maybe a little bit more specific, I think the passing game, the execution in general, I would like to see that take a step forward in week two. And I know people, we have a question about, I think we have a question about Carson Beck here later. Maybe that's what the offensive question. I know some people out there that are like, they're convinced that Bobo's not the answer at, at OC. They're convinced that Carson Beck's not the answer at quarterback. I'm making a video on this right now to kind of refute that. I think that's crazy if you actually go back and watch the tape. But there were some some mistakes that he made in that game. Absolutely. It was his first start after all. The receivers, there were some drops. There were some guys who maybe rounded off some routes and weren't where they were exactly supposed to be at times. So just that crispness when it comes to executing the passing game, I would like to see more of that. And I think that we will. I thought I saw some really good things from, from receivers like C.J. Smith getting his first like extended playing time. I think Carson Beck played really well. But all around, I think we can execute a little bit better in the passing game. Here's one more thing before we move on. I know that we are banged up at running back. I understand that Kendall Milton was down 100%. I understand that Dejan Edwards was not out there. I understand all of that. But whoever's out there, I would also really like to see them run the football like they're actual running backs. You know, like actually, I don't know, maybe break tackles. There were a number of places. We were outnumbered in the box, Curse. Plenty in that game. You and I talked about that. And that is frustrating to see us consistently running those heavy boxes like that. When you go to play action, you could probably get some big plays off there. You should be able to get big plays off that. But free runners or not, their free runners curse are like 170-pound dudes coming up from the secondary. 
And as soon as those guys would hit our running backs, we're talking about big dudes like Kendall Milton and Roger Robinson. They're just going straight down. That cannot happen. When you get one-on-one, I know that we're outnumbered, okay? When a running back is one-on-one with a defender in space, your job is to make that defender miss. We simply were not doing that, not one bit. And I know like you might not be the most elusive guys, your bigger backs, break a freaking tackle, all right? I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, I sit there and watch. I know that Clemson got beat on, uh, on Monday night by Duke. Did you watch Will Shipley, though, Curtis? Will Shipley runs like an animal. And so does Moffa. I mean, again, I know Clemson lost is made up the best example. But if you watch those running backs run the football, those dudes run hungry. They run angry. I did not see that from our running backs. And that's what our ground game should be like. It's very frustrating for me to sit there and watch these running backs that are as big as those guys are get hit by a 175-pound dude and just go down. I, am I crazy here, Curtis, or are you seeing some of the same things I'm seeing? Um, I see that, especially, I mean, you know, we've, and this has been something we've talked about for a while. You talk about Keith Marshall and all these people. Like, you've got to be able to run through those tackles. Like, we, we've gotten away from the explosive run game. I know we're trying to be explosive in the ground game, but we haven't been really since, I guess, 2018. DeAndre Swift was like the last time we were really explosive in the ground game on a consistent basis or on a fairly consistent basis. And a big part of that is guys are not making people miss, whether that's you know putting a juke on somebody or running through those tackles like Todd Gurley used to do and Nick Chubb used to do. It's not happening, and that has got to change. That has got to be fixed. And I know well, especially that when you're looking at people like Roger Robinson, which that's going to be part. That of is it. what you're. That's what you're there to do, Curtis. Like what? Yeah. If, if if you're Roger Robinson, you can't do that. What value do you have to the team? Yeah, I agree. I, and I know he's a freshman. That sounds so awful, but I mean seriously, you are a big back. You are supposed to run through those tackles. It's not just about pushing the line on the goal line. It's about running through arm tackles like that from 170-pound dudes coming up in the secondary. That cannot happen. You've got to break those tackles and make big plays. You can, and I, I know the offensive line was not perfect. I know the play calling wasn't necessarily perfect. But at some point, those backs have got to do something and make a play. Just, just saying. That's frustrating for me. All right, let's go on to question number two. Get off my soapbox there. Oliver has a good question. After that underwhelming performance from Mike Bobo in the offense, how much have you adjusted your expectations for the Georgia offense this season? Okay, Curtis. Uh, I think you both, and I, you and I are both in agreement that it wasn't maybe the, the most crisply called game for Mike Bobo, but you also have to consider the, the context and situation. How, how do you feel about what you saw offensively from a play calling standpoint, just a general offensive output standpoint? Um, I mean, it was a mixed bag of emotions, yes, but you can't ignore what happened in the second half when we started opening things up a little bit and attacking the edge and putting our players in a more successful position. Oh, what happened? That doesn't the narrative. We, you absolutely can't ignore that. Yeah, and and I think that's the biggest thing. Everyone everyone wants to overreact instead of, like like we were talking about earlier, it, paying attention to the games where even that happened with Todd Munkin. I mean, there were plenty of times where Todd Munkin couldn't run the ball the whole first half until late in the second half when he finally had worn down the other team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, to sit here and expect it to be a perfectly called game, a new coordinator, two of your three starting receivers are out, your starting running back is about 80%. Um, you're trying not to give the ball to your best playmaker to make other guys do it, and you're also playing a lesser team than you, so you're also not trying to show too much. Um, that's about what I expected. I mean, as frustrating as it, as it is, I don't every, – everyone just expects every game to be perfect. And that's just unrealistic. I mean, first expectations have gone like to Jupiter at this point. Well, and and people are people were already wait like you have all these people, people already hate my Bobo. That's just yeah, who are just waiting to say I told you so, and that's yeah. this is their first chance to jump at it. I know I say a lot, but this is a classic example. This is confirmation bias, man. Like it's what it is. People already have their minds made up about Mike Bobo, and anything that that remotely seems to prove them right. We're going to jump all over. You're exactly right. Well, you mentioned uh, you know, Todd Munkin and some of the struggles we might have had against – and struggles is a, is a very strong word – relative struggles we had against some of these overmatched teams when he was our coordinator in the past couple of years. I got some numbers for you, Curtis, to back up those assertions you're making here. So let's look at our stat line from UT Martin here offensively. I'm not going to go over every number, just some basic stuff here. So UT Martin, last weekend, we put up 559 total yards of offense. We averaged eight yards per play. We scored 48 points. All right, I know one was a defensive touchdown, but you know, 48 points. And so some of these other ones, we had defensive touchdowns as well. Let's go back to last year. You mentioned the 2002, the, the 2022 Stanford Samford game. Sorry, I can't speak today. Well, Curtis against Samford last season, which was an ugly performance in the home opener last year, 
479 total yards, only 6.4 yards per play, only 33 points. You also mentioned Kent State last year. I know Kent State is not the exact same as UT Martin, but it's still a, a, a lower caliber team. It's a G5 team, MAC team. 529 total yards in that game, 6.9 yards per play, 39 points. 2021 Charleston Southerns. We didn't play any non-con guys in 2020. The only remotely similar non-conference game that we played in 2021 to what we played last week was Charleston Southern. 488, 488 total yards, 7.1 yards per play, 56 points. So the point stands, Curtis. Todd Munkin in, against similar type opponents in similar games, similar situations, actually put up worse numbers than what we put up in Mike Bobo's first game as offensive coordinator with a brand new starting quarterback with two starting receivers out and a mash unit at running back. Is that kind of what we're saying? Yeah. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. And again, this is no shot at Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin was amazing. I would say the best offensive coordinator we've ever had. I think that's pretty fair to say at this point. The dude helped us win two national titles. Awesome. Fantastic. I'm not crushing him. What I'm saying is Mike Bobo actually put up better numbers against a similar caliber opponent. And all of a sudden, some Georgia fans out there are convinced Mike Bobo sucks. Something something smells a little fishy here, Curtis. Something doesn't seem right there. And I think it's what you said. People already have their minds made about Mike Bobo. It doesn't matter what the numbers actually say. Context doesn't matter. Their their bias against him is the only thing that matters. So I'm with you. I don't think it was – it wasn't the greatest offensive performance. We talked about how I would like to see us be a little more crisp and execute sharper on offense, certainly. There are some play calls I think Mike Bobo might like to have have back. What did you make – I talked about this on Sunday, Curse, but I want to get your take on this. That – that call right before the half, first and goal from the, what, the three-yard line. We complete the pass, Dominic Lovett down the sideline, first and goal, trying to go up 21-0 at the half, 15 seconds left, and we run that uh, – we, we hand the ball off to Cash Jones there with no timeouts. What did you make of that call? Um, Terrible check. And that's the thing. It was a check, and I have that on very good authority. That was not a call. I mean, that even Kirby Smart in. said it was a check in the postgame yep. conference, said, you know, that was a – and that he said that was a check that he, you know, Carson was yep. must have been mistaken of how close they were. He even said that. Yep. And you know what, Curtis? The my Bobo haters don't want to hear it. They don't care. They, don't, they think they think Kirby's just you know taking up for his old buddy. And it's like, okay, I don't know, man. I don't know whatever. What else? I don't know what we have to do to convince some people. That's all I'm saying. Look, but all in all, first game, I think it was a very very solid offensive performance. There were some things that need to be cleaned up for sure, as we've laid out. But I, I'll just end this question with this, Curtis. I think expectations have gotten entirely out of whack if Saturday's offensive performance has left you spiraling out of control about our offense. And, guys, make no mistake about it. It might be a small minority, but there are fans out there in this fan base right now that are spiraling about our offense. And to me, that's crazy talk. That's just me. Everyone can have their opinion. That's cool. But my opinion is that's a little bit much. So – Just putting that out there. And we are just getting started with the questions today, guys. But before we go any further, I do want to remind you about our friends at MyBookie. You guys know football is back, and that means winning season is back too at MyBookie. I know I said it earlier, guys, but I'm going to say it again. You do not want to miss out on the action this week. Last week, it was fun. College football was back. We loved it. We had a great time but we were short on big games. That's not the case this week. There's tons of big games for you guys to bet on. Which means there is money to be made. And Charlie and I will be back with our week two picks of the week for you guys tomorrow. So make sure to come back and check that out and take those picks. Take your own knowledge and win some money at MyBookie. To open a new account, it could not be easier, guys. Just go to MyBookie.ag. Use our promo code UGA. And when you do so, you'll get a 50% bonus on whatever that first deposit is. So if you deposit 100 bucks, you get an extra 50 to play with. If you deposit 500 bucks, you get an extra 250 to play with. I know there's no such thing as a free lunch. That's what they always tell you. But in this case, there kind of is. It's free money for you to play with. So jump on it now while you can. This offer will not be around all season long. So make sure to take advantage of it while you can. And it's simple. Go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code UGA, and you can get that 50% deposit bonus. So make sure to bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. All right, let's move on to the next question. This one is from Jamie, longtime listener. Love you, Jamie. Appreciate your questions, man. Jamie asks, do you think the slow start this past Saturday was due to nerves 
or something else. Of course, I do think it's fair to say it was a slower start offensively, especially. I think that is certainly fair. But uh, what do you what do you chalk that up to? Was it nerves or is it just maybe guys are more prepared? What do you think? Maybe nerves, a little bit of, you know, all your weapons aren't out there. You're not using your whole playbook. And then it's also like not a very ended up being, a you know, as we know, it was an inconsequential game. So it's hard to get up for those games. You're not always at your crispest. Yeah, I know we have the standard we like to play to, and that's what Kirby talks about. We want to play to our standard. But, Curtis, I mean, look, we're talking about 18, 19, 20, 21. I guess in sets of minutes case, what is he, 35, something like that? But we're talking about young dudes. And you can preach all you want about playing the standard every game, but is that a reality? Do we do that, Curtis? No, it doesn't always happen. No, I mean, we, we, Missouri last year, Kentucky last year. There are, I mean, Sanford last year. It, it never happens. And I know that has to be endlessly frustrating for Kirby because he truly does believe that and buy into it. But it, it's it's hard like, when you have games like this. I know it's the first game of the year, and you think everybody should be motivated. But, I mean, they're not idiots. Like, they know. They know that this is an overmatched opponent. If they go out there and play, they're like their F-level game. They're still going to win. might get ugly, and might, they might get criticized, but they're still going to win. So I think that factors into it to on some level. But, I, I mean, I do think that nerves play a part in it, don't you, to some degree? I, th- I mean, it wouldn't shock me, especially as the first half. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not saying everybody. I think the guys that have been there or done that, that played under the bright lights, like played in national championship games, like that, there are no nerves associated with those guys. But think about all the young guys, and not even necessarily young guys, but guys are getting their first extensive playing time. Carson Beck, Curtis, making his first start. I know he's played some, but he's never been the starter. All eyes haven't been on him like that. A guy like C.J. Smith being out there for the first time, really getting extended playing time. Roger Robinson, first time ever. Cash Jones. I mean, there's a lot of newness out there, and there's bound to be – some semblance of, I mean, I know I would be nervous, Curtis. Like, I can't imagine looking up in the stands and playing in front of that many people and and also being on television. Like, I don't know what that's like. I don't know how I would handle that. Probably not well the first time I went out there. I think you get used to it. You adjust to it. Humans adapt. But the first time is different. It's weird. And I think that's one of the values of playing games like this. I don't like games like this. I would rather us not play games like this. But there is some value. It's that. Like, you get guys some experience and you get to shake those nerves off and you get to adapt to that environment. And by the time you get to week three and you play in South Carolina, you don't have to worry about those things as much. So I do think that helps when you're working in new guys like that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think nerves has something to do with it. I think also just the fact that it's the first game and there's just you, – you're not as sharp the first game because you haven't been out there and you haven't done it in a game setting. Um, I do think there's something, as you were saying, I think like the motivation factor. I think it's hard to get as up and as focused for games like this regardless if it's the first game or not. So I think it's a combination of all those things. But, Jamie, I think you're right. I think nerves to me – Certainly played a played a role in that uh, with all those other factors. All right, let's go to the next question from Carl. Carl asked, who was the one player that impressed you the most on Saturday? All right, Chris, I have a couple, so I'm going to let you go first, and I'll take the one that you don't take. Um, Well, I, to me, the one person that really jumped out right away was Malachi Starks. Damn it, that was my number one choice. Okay, uh, I'm with you on that. All right, explain to me what you saw from Malachi. I mean, you just saw the, the range – the physicality. I mean, the guy was making plays all over the field, sideline to sideline, but then also coming up strong in the run stopping. And to me, that's the huge difference. I mean, I think no one here can question his athletic ability, especially when he plays the right coverage. But to see him be more physical at the point of attack, I think, is a big thing of him growing as a player and helping our defense. Defense. Yeah. I mean, he's a preseason All-American, right? I think preseason first-team All-American, if I'm correct, right? I don't know that, but I, I, I think it was a preseason AP first team All American, if I remember correctly. Somebody can double check me on that. I'm, I think I wrote an article on that, so I'm pretty sure that's right. But that doesn't always matter. There's a lot of guys that get their names on those lists just because like they're a name, but they're not necessarily really All American caliber. What I saw from Malachi Starks, and I know I tell you guys not overreact to one game, especially a game like this, and I'm going to stand by that. But still, what I saw from Malachi Starks in that one game, I'm going to break my own rule here. That was all-American caliber play in, in terms of what he was doing. Like you, like you said, Curtis, flying all over the field. He was playing faster than I've ever seen the guy play. And I talked about this on Sunday. I'm not saying Malachi wasn't fast last year. He's the same guy. He's still as fast as he was last year. But he wasn't playing as fast last year because he didn't fully grasp what we were doing defensively. That That's just reality, guys. When you don't really know and you have like a, a question about what's going on, like you just don't know it instinctively – you play a step slower. And I think we saw that from Malachi last year at times. You know, there were some blown assignments. Sure, I mean, it's natural with freshmen. We didn't see any of that on Saturday, Curse. That dude was flying 
all over the place, and he was not hesitating for a second. He was arriving with bad intentions, and he was absolutely, I agree with you, the number one player that stood out to me in that game. When I walked out of Sanford Stadium that night, and I was talking to my wife, and we are talking about what we saw, I was like, damn, man, Malachi Starks looks legit out there. Like, this dude is different. He was great last year, but he is big time right now. So I'm with you. Great call there. So you stole that one from me. Uh, I'll go to my backup option here, who can be the number one option really any game because like he's the, maybe the greatest tight end in the history of college football, Brock Bowers. I mean, really, I, I know it, it, it can get old just constantly saying Brock Bowers is the one that impressed me the most, but, I mean, he's pretty much the guy who impresses me the most almost every game. And I know the stat line, five catches, 77 yards, one rushing touchdown, doesn't blow you away. But that was all in one half of play, first off. And it's not necessarily the numbers. It's the how he put those numbers up, Curtis. You know, when I, I just criticized the running backs earlier for not breaking tackles and, and running hard. Well, you never have to criticize Brock Bowers for that. And I know, you know, it's a popular talking point. Let's just turn around and hand the ball to Brock. Um, I'm actually okay with that because he's he does things that our running backs do not do in terms of just running like a freaking madman and just refusing to go down, sacrificing his body. That dude puts himself on the line. He wants it. He is driven in a way that I don't know if I've ever seen anyone in a Georgia uniform do that in my lifetime. Maybe David Pollock, in terms of the guy who just plays that hard, Pollock played like that. Now, Pollock wasn't as physically gifted as Brock Bowers. So obviously, played a different position. But in terms of the guy who just plays his freaking butt off, down in, down out, I've never seen a guy like that in a Georgia uniform. I mean, Brock is just – he's different, man. And we know that, but he never ceases to amaze me. So I, I, if you're going to steal Malachi – I'm going to go with Brock Bowers as the guy who impressed me the most on Saturday, which, duh, obviously is going to be Brock Bowers. All right, Curtis, next up we got a question from Kelvin. I think this is the first time we've gotten a question from Kelvin. So thank you, Kelvin. If you're one of our newer listeners, I appreciate you being with us, man. I hope you stick around for the whole season. But Kelvin asked, everyone is always excited to see what the team looks like and how some players have improved. But is there anyone that was underwhelming to you against UT Martin? So basically the inverse of our last question, Curtis. Um, I think you already know where I'm going to go with this because you and I, I know exactly where you're going. I'm going to let you take this, man. Um, it's it as away. simple as Pop. Um, Pop yeah. Dumas Johnson. Um, wait, wait, wait. You mean preseason All SEC first team Pop Dumas Johnson? Yeah, someone who Pop was a, a little overrated. Just you know, to me, he's a carbon copy of what we had in Monty Rice. Maybe a little bit more athletic, but it's obvious that he is not the most athletic and gifted player of that linebacker core. And I know some things can't be coached like product leadership and things like that, but and that stuff matters. Yeah. That stuff matter. matters. But at the same time, he is a weakness on that defense. And you're going to go as far as saying he's a weakness on the defense. I am. You and I've been saying it for since last year that he's very weak in pass coverage, which is, you know, going to be a big thing. And then not only that as a spy, realistically, he's not the best spy on a quarterback because He's not that athletic. Well, and when the Smile's fact, out there, it's going to be Smile, period. Yeah, and, well, and, you know, let's be honest. I think probably the next five guys behind Pop are all more athletic than him, and it gets to the point where it's hard to keep them off. I mean, you saw it towards the end of Monty's career. That's when the Kobe started kind of making some flashes. And and it's kind of the same way with Pop where you're like, okay, he's a solid player, but you see the flashes from the other guys, and you're like, okay, yeah, they're better. Yeah, I, I'm actually glad you said that because I've been feeling that myself. What you just said there about being like maybe the fourth or fifth most talented, like physically gifted guy, athletic guy in his own room. I believe that, Curtis. I, I'm 100% in agreement with you. I think – I know that Smile Mondin is more athletic than him. I think C.J. Allen is more athletic than Pop is. I know that Raylan Wilson is more athletic than he is. Xavier Story is more athletic. E.J. Lightsey, when he's healthy, is probably more athletic. So, I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Pop is the least athletic player in that entire linebacker room. Is that crazy? No, I don't think it's crazy at all. I, I don't I don't either, man. I mean, I know this, like, here we are. It's a Georgia podcast, and a lot of you probably shaking your heads saying, oh, my God, why are you ripping one of our own guys? I'm not trying to rip Pop. Pop is a good football player, all right? We're just trying to be honest with you and objective on what we see. Like, we would have no credibility if we just came out here and pumping sunshine and rainbows up your butt, telling you every player is the greatest player in the history of the world, because that's just not the case. Pop is a really good player, and you're right about his leadership, bringing value to this team. But it's also fair to say – when you watch him play, it's clear that he is not the same level athlete that the other players in that room are. Now, what he has going for him right now is number one, the leadership, number two, the experience in the system. He's also really good between the tackles, and that matters. So you need guys like that. But the problem is, Curtis, this is not 1999 anymore. 
you don't see a lot of teams that exclusively operate between the tackles. What we see now in 2023 is teams spreading the field and forcing linebackers to play and operate in space. Pop was built to play linebacker in 1999. If it was 1999, I would probably say Pop Dumas Johnson is the best linebacker on the team because he does those things that you that you used to have to do inside linebacker better than a guy like Smile Mondin. He just does. He's built for that. He's not built for new age offensive football the way that the other linebackers are in our room. That is my thing with Pop. It's not a, I'm not trying to rip the kid. I know he goes out there and he plays hard. He does everything he's asked to do. And he's a great leader on the team. Those things matter. And I appreciate him for that. And he is a good player, but you're right. There are some physical limitations. I mean, there was one play, Kirsch, you know, really they were not able to hurt us, you know, like running the football between the tackles, like just outmanning us, pushing us around. They didn't push us around. They ran for over 120 yards, which is crazy. That should never happen. But that was basically the quarterback run stuff. And a lot of that was poor discipline on the edges. But there was also one play I remember specifically where Pop, first off, he kind of hesitated for a second. That cost him. He, he hesitated on the on the fake handoff, on the mesh. And then we saw the quarterback pulled it and went right around his end. He was too slow to be able to react to make the play. Whereas Smile Mondin, if he was there in that situation, even if he might have been wrong in his initial read, it was a step slow, he has the athleticism to make up for it to still get the quarterback down. Pop did not have that athleticism. That quarterback, and y'all know that quarterback was not the most athletic dude out there. I mean, come on, let's just be real. That dude flat out left Pop Dumas Johnson in the dust. That's what we're talking about, guys. So I, I think he's a really good player. I think it's crazy that he was all SEC first team over uh, Smile. I think Smile actually might have been all SEC first team as well. But, but if he was... If he wasn't, that's crazy. The fact that Pop Dumas Johnson is an AP All-American first team over Smile Mondin is crazy to me. I don't like people who are making those making those choices and voting those things. They're not. They're clearly not watching. I, I don't know where they get that from. Good player, but I, I'm with you. I, I don't think that he's as good of an athlete as Smile Mondin. And I think really, I, I agree. I think he's probably the, the least athletic guy in that linebacker room. So I know that sounds terrible. I don't, I don't like those kind of conversations, but sometimes you have to have those hard conversations. All right. So your answer is pop Dumas Johnson. Uh, I'm going to go Ernest green Curtis. Am I, is that a little aggressive? I know it's his first star. Is that too much? Um, It's a tough, tough standard. I mean, I don't think it's unfair. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I, I think that if he's a starter, you've got to at least hold him to the standard. So I yeah. get that. I just think that, yeah, as a redshirt freshman who missed practically all of last year, it's kind of like with Tate where we were a little bit hard on him to start the year. And once he got his feet and got, you know, a little settled, I'm not saying that that's going to be Ernest Green, but I, I'm not ready to make anything yet with him. Actually, Curtis, do I have your permission to change my answer? Can I do that? Knock yourself out. All right. Ernest Green, I thought, made some mistakes. And look, but it was his first start ever they <laughs> didn't play at all last year dealing with a back injury he did some really good things like in the run game he was pretty strong um showed some physicality the past past pro game he struggled some he struggled some but uh i'm gonna change my answer to another offensive lineman xavier truss i i mean that dude doesn't have the yeah. my first well, start i don't know there was there was two guys next to each other that played pretty poorly in my opinion i mean yeah the, the entire left side is that what you're saying from center to the left, yeah. Oh, you, you, SVP? I, I think yeah. SVP, yeah, he, I don't think he played his best game. No. I thought yeah. at least, you know, he, he wasn't blowing anyone off the ball. Well, I mean, that's just, he's that's never been his MO. You know, yeah. that's. But it's you, it's even more noticeable when it happens against a team like that. A team like that, yeah. Trust, man. I, as big as that guy is, he should be able to just absolutely dominate a team like that, even as a front like that. But the problem is when they're only – a lot of the game they were playing with three-down linemen, so they had extra linebackers on the field. And he he's good when he has somebody like head up on him, somebody on the line of scrimmage that he can block, somebody like his size. But when he has to play – has to try to block a smaller guy from depth, a guy that's playing off the line of scrimmage that's more athletic than he is, the dude struggles because he's not really athletic himself, not relative to the other guys on our offensive line. So they were trying – they were they were requiring him to do that a fair amount in that game. He struggled doing that. So – since he has played a full year as our starter and been around for a long time, I'll, I'll go him and not Ernest. I'll give Ernest the benefit of the doubt and just say, you know what, chalk it up, first game, it's all good. I don't want to, I don't want to kill him right off, the, right, right off the bat there. But Pop was my answer once again, Curtis. You stole my answer, but if I have to go someone else, I'll go, uh, I'll go Xavier Trust there. All right, let's go. We got a question from Ben. Uh, Ben's been a great listener all summer long for a while, actually. I Ben's been with us for a couple of years, so thank you, Ben. Always appreciate you, man. Ben asked, uh, we know it's been reported that Dylan Bell was taking reps at running back. 
but doesn't Makai Muse seem to be more running back like? What do you think of that? And did Muse play running back in high school? What do you say, Kurt? Um, I don't know Muse's high school accolades. Um, he played at Central Gwinnett in Gwinnett County. I, yeah, well, you and I did learn that. But to me, yeah. um, the fact is, I still think Dylan Bell's better suited for it because Muse, as what you know, he did some good things in the game. But let's be honest, um, I don't. You know, it's already. I just don't trust him to run between the tackles, and I think Dylan Bell has the body to make that change more seamless than any receiver on our roster. You know, that was my initial thought, too, when I saw this question from Ben, and Ben and I went back and forth a little bit, a little bit about it on, on Twitter. I do – I mean, obviously, Dylan Bell has the bigger body. And, I mean, Dylan Bell is built like a running back. That's why we weren't all together surprised when it was reported with all these injuries at running back that he was getting some carries at running back. I think he certainly has the bigger body, and he has that frame. You look at Makai Muse, he's 5'8", 185 pounds. Now, he's thick for a 5'8 guy, but he's still 5'8". He's not a big guy. But Ben's point, I think it's a really good point, is that Makai Muse has more running back skills if you take out the size thing. Do you agree with that? I mean, shiftiness and everything is nice. I just don't always say that that translates into running back. I think it depends honest. on how you use him at running back. If he's a guy, yeah, that's the use... thing. Like, it, it depends on what role they're using him because I think between the tackles – uh, it's just a, a oh, different that's not going to like, he would struggle like, that's yeah. that's not going to be good for anybody and i think dylan bell would would like muse almost as it would be like a scat back change of pace guy where i think dylan bell yeah. could potentially be a more rounded i think the kind of music could be like a cash jones force maybe a, a more dangerous version of cash jones out of the backfield right yes I, I agree with that and that's where i see him as i just don't think having both of them in the backfield is beneficial because you still haven't solved the running part I will say, remember that the screenplay, so it was a 54-yard screen pass for a touchdown? It was. And that's what he saying, lined like, up it, in the backfield and motioned out to receiver from that Well, play. that's what I'm saying. If you use him in a way that you can get him in space, yes. But yeah. as a true, you know, every down back person to come in there, he's not the answer. Where I think Bell could at least be more serviceable in that route. And I yeah, think Bell I think could that, be just as – like maybe he's not as shifty as Muse, but I still think he could be strong in the pass game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Ben is right in saying that Muse has, like, in terms of, like, running, like, if he had the ball in his hands in space, I think he does have more running back skills, like, make you miss type stuff, the elusiveness, the shittiness, than Dylan Bell does. I agree totally with that, but I also agree with you that the size limitations certainly would have to factor in there as well, and I think you'd use him at running back, but you'd have to be selective in how you use him. That's kind of how I would look at it, but I don't think it's crazy for Ben to suggest. I, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think in certain situations, I would actually not hate it at all to see Mikai Muse get some looks there situationally. All right, guys, we are still not done. We've got more questions to answer. But before we go any further, I do want to remind you about our friends at Alumni Hall. I know a lot of you are coming in town once again this weekend. Some of you who made the trip last weekend, some of you that weren't able to. But if you don't live in Athens and you haven't been into Alumni Hall yet this season, but make sure to do yourself a favor and stop in on your way into town to pick up your new 2023 game day gear. Guys, they've got everything you could ever possibly dream of as a Georgia fan. Every brand, every style, vintage logos, new logos, whatever it is you're looking for, male, female, kid, it doesn't matter. Alumni Hall has got you covered. Just trust me on that. I spent enough time there to know I'm an expert on Alumni Hall. Maybe not much else, but I am an expert on Alumni Hall, so take my word for it, guys. Do yourself that favor. Stop in in store inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center right off 316, right past the Oconee Connector, or online at alumnihall.com because they have all the same great stuff online as well. And get yourself outfitted for this March to the 3 P because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. All right, Curtis, we got a couple more questions to run through here. Next up, we got Billy the Kid. Thank you, man. Billy asks, who were your top three most impressive freshman performances and why? All right, Curtis, give me your three, and then I'll give you my three. And there's probably going to be some overlap, so just tell me who you got. Uh, most impressive freshman performances, you have to go with C.J. Allen. Shoot, see, some of these guys, you feel like they're freshmen, but they're retro sophomores and things. I had to, like, work through my mind. Like, okay, who are the freshmen? Okay, who um, he play? I, I think Roger Robinson has to be on the list. I mean, I know yeah, Roderick and I thought Damon but he, Wilson, he played a lot. I thought, I thought Damon Wilson flashed a little bit. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen him maybe a little bit more, but you know, when he got in but there. But and we don't really do much in the passing game, you know, pass rushing up, especially in these games. So you're not going to get a big chance for them to go make some big, especially when you're playing a team like that, who's going to get rid of the ball quickly and you're already not blitzing much. 
Let me ask you about C.J. Allen, since he was the first guy you mentioned. He's also the first guy on my list. So C.J. Allen, true freshman linebacker, really high on him, and Raylan Wilson as well. I think Bowles would be really good too. Raylan Wilson, unfortunately, suffered the hypersensitive knee in fall camp, early in fall camp. It looks like he's close to coming back, but he's not back yet. If he had not gotten injured, I think he'd be right there with C.J. Allen. But, you know, injuries happen, and we'll see how, how quickly he can catch up. But C.J., Came in, Chris. I don't know if you caught this. He came in in the second. If I'm correct, if I remember this correctly, I believe it was the second drive of the game defensively. I know he got out there early. Very early. He played quite a bit in the first half. If it wasn't the second drive, it was certainly very, very early. At some point, does C.J. Allen start to eat into not, – not just serve like a – you know, he's in the rotation, like he's one of the, the, the top four guys – at some point, does he start to eat into like starting? I'm not saying he's ever going to start over pop, but is he at some point going to eat more and more and more into those into those reps potentially? It's hard not to think so, um, especially since he got playing over Sori. I mean, Sori started, but I mean, like we said, Allen was in there early and often. See, the thing is, again, the, the advantage pop has, as we were talking about, is he's got the experiential edge. He knows the system. He He's a leader on the team. All those things matter. And it's tough to – like we put a lot on our inside linebacker, especially the play caller, which is what Pop is and what we're asking CJ to do. We put a lot on those guys. It's hard for a freshman to come in and do everything that we ask our inside linebackers to do. But Kirby has been very, very open in talking about how impressive CJ Allen is, not even so much physically, which he is, but also just from the mental standpoint of learning our defense and soaking things up and understanding things. He said, he talks about all the time when asked about CJ Allen is his first comment is this guy gets it. He understands, he learns, he's advanced mentally compared to your typical freshman linebacker. They just can do the things that most guys simply cannot do in function in a way that, in, the, in a way that they can't for most, you know, incoming freshman linebackers. So I think if he continues to grow in that, in that way, which seems like he's doing very well, according to his head coach, I think in a, in a big way, it kind of neutralizes Pop's advantage because CJ is a better athlete. He is. That's just reality. And if he, if the only advantage Pop really has over him is experience and knowledge of the system, and CJ's knowledge of the system continues to grow and grow and grow the way that Kirby is saying that it does, it's hard for me to not sit here and say, oh, yeah, CJ, he's going to get some reps. I mean, I think he's going to continue to get more and more reps. And I don't know what that looks like down the road, but I also think, I don't think it's crazy that this guy – is going to play a big-time role for us as the season progresses. I don't think that's crazy at all. Uh, so you said C.J. Allen, Roger Robinson. Who was the third guy? You said Damon Wilson. So, so I'm going to go – I'm going to go C.J. Allen. I definitely agree there. I'm going to go Jordan Hall, who actually played early and often as well, which I kind of expected. He wasn't necessarily dominant, but they weren't really trying to run the ball between the tackles all that much. I thought he played well. He was even in there on like our third down dime pack situations, which was somewhat surprising because I never really necessarily saw him as one of those dynamic pass rushers from the interior. But he got some – he wasn't the only guy playing that role. Obviously, we had Warren Brinson playing there as well. But I think Jordan Hall is a guy that played well in his first snaps. Another guy that I haven't heard much talk about, he didn't play a ton in the first half, really all in the first half, if my memory serves me correctly. But I thought A.J. Harris, when he got in the second half, I thought he did some good things. I know there was that touchdown that was called over him. I get that. I thought that ball was incomplete, but, you know, whatever. But uh, I thought A.J. did some good things, and it was interesting to me to see him go in over Nyland Green. He went in the game before Nyland Green did, and I didn't anticipate that because really all spring and camp long, it was a three-headed monster battle for that cornerback spot with Dalen Everett, Nyland Green, and Julio Humphrey. And all three had their moments and kind of going back and forth, and Green was certainly in that conversation. But to see A.J. Harris go into the game before Nyland Green that's not necessarily something that I expected. I know that he is a, I mean, he's an incredibly talented player. And I'm very, very high on him long term. But being a freshman, I thought that might be a, a, an uphill battle for him. But I thought he played well when he got his opportunity. He still has some things to learn, obviously. But uh, I was impressed with what I saw from him on the hoof, the athleticism. I think that he's going to end up being a really good player for us. All right, Curtis. Uh, next question here coming from Jared. Jared asks, what surprised you the most? From the first game. So, Curtis, biggest surprise coming out of the win over UT Martin? Um, I'd say the the fact that they had over 100 yards rushing on us. Yeah, I mean, I did not see that coming. Again, mostly it was it was quarterback run stuff, but I don't freaking care, man. I don't care what it is. I mean, clearly they knew they were not going to be able to run the ball traditionally against us, like just line up and run down our throats. That was never going to happen. So they did some things schematically that – I guess we weren't prepared for it. It's frustrating to even say that we weren't prepared for it and that we couldn't adjust to it. I think mean, we did adjust to it eventually. 
but uh, that's certainly curse. I mean, that's not okay. Like we can, we cannot have a situation. I mean, I'm going back to, I mean, I'm going to go back to last year, Curtis. So what was it? 120 something yards rushing is. So let's see what they had. So this year, UT Martin, they had 132 yards rushing. Apparently that was like 128. Let's go 132 last year, Curtis. Give me a guess. Give me a wild guess. How many teams ran for 132 yards or more against us last year? I don't even know if there was one, but I'll guess one. One. Oregon. That was it. Week one. 140. And UT Martin came in and rushed for 132, according to sportsreference.com. So I'm with you on that. That was certainly frustrating to see. We got to, and that was a discipline thing. It wasn't a, a physical thing, but I don't care what it was. Like That's just got to be cleaned up. That certainly cannot happen. So I'm with you there. Uh, for me, I'm going to go a player here. I think C.J. Smith was a really big surprise, Curtis. Oh, yeah. That's a – that yeah. I'll be honest, man. I mean, I, I I got a few people I know, and no one told me anything about C.J. Smith going to be a factor in this game. And really all fall camp long, I didn't hear that much about him. I heard a few things here and there. But when I was asked to talk about receivers, I mean, it was all Dominic Lovett, Arian doing some good things, Lad doing what Lad does, Dylan Bell. I mean, people were very high on Dylan Bell. C.J. Smith really wasn't part of that conversation. So to see him out there, again, one of those guys that was out there early and often, not a true freshman, a redshirt freshman, and to also play as well as he did, that was somewhat surprised, actually fairly surprising to me. Now, he is a guy that is incredibly fast. He's a 10, 200-meter guy coming out of high school. That's not quite Arian Smith level fast. Ain't that far off, though. So he's got the speed. Last year, he had to learn the system, learn how to play college football. He's kind of like Arian wasn't super polished coming out of high school, maybe a little bit more polished than Arian was coming out of high school, but not altogether all that much more. One thing I really liked about CJ Smith, Curse, that dude has worked on his body in the offseason. He is bigger and thicker by far than what he was last year. He looks the part now. And that first pass he caught, he took that little, it was a little screen pass that we checked into. He took that and ran over two defenders. He did exactly what I want our running backs to do, like run with authority. That was impressive. And then on the play action, the second pass he caught, he showed the speed, ran up the sideline, a big 40-plus yard gain. So C.J. Smith was a very, very pleasant surprise for me. And I, I know it's one game. We don't want to go too far. But if he continues to take strides, I think this is a guy that can make some plays for us this year. Because, he, again, he has the speed. That's never been the question. And now he has the size to go along with it. He continues to grow and learn how to play that position. I think C.J. Smith can develop into a big-time player for us. Now, how quickly does that happen? I mean, that remains to be seen. I don't know. I actually, You don't want to hear something crazy? I think he could yeah. be a bigger playmaker than Arian Smith. I absolutely agree with that. Because Chris. that's the thing. His, you're, you're talking about it. You know, He's improved his body, and it already goes along. I think I read that it was like he runs like a, oh, a 10.2800 and like a 10. Yeah, he's a 10, 200 meter guy. And like 10.5 or 10.6, 200 meters. So the guy has the blazing speed himself. Well, not 10.6, 200 meter. That'd be like world club, but I get, I get 20.6. 20 yeah, there you go. I guess. I mean, 10.6, a world record holder? You know, but 20.6. But overall, though, like, and, and I think he, he's now got his body in a better place than Arian, if I had to be honest, where to uphold, to, you know, withstand the SEC player play physical, physical, physical play. I think he's put himself in a much better position. He might not be quite as fast as Arian, but ain't that far off. No, and, and the fact he, that if he, it seems like he may have a little bit better, um, I don't want to say it because he can still get hurt, but he, I just think he's done a good job of putting his, getting his body in a place to, you know, try to make hold up a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing about Arian Curtis. Like, I I'm really high on Arian. I love Arian. I really I and I know Arian works incredibly hard, and like he's one of those just great guys you want to have on your team. I am rooting hard for that guy. I want him to be successful, and I think he will be. But there were two plays in that game because I've been going back and charting every throw, that every drop back that Carson Beck had in that game. There were two plays where Arian got up screaming about pass interference and being held, and that should have been complete. Like Carson put the ball where it needed to be on both plays. One could have been a touchdown. One would have been a first down. And there might have been a little pass interference, maybe a little holding. But you know what? In those situations, there's going to be some hand jostling. Sometimes in college, you can be physical receivers in a way that you well, can't. And not only that, but being strong That's what sometimes I'm saying, yeah. you got to fight through that. Well, and that's the thing. Being strong and fighting through that emphasizes that it should have been a flag. Some, sometimes I think you get flags thrown when you're strong and try to fight through it because then it's that's obvious what they were doing. That's a good point. I, I, that's a great point. But, yeah, he, regardless, like, he's got to fight through those plays. Like He's got to make plays in those balls. Like It's great for him to be able to run out there and just burn somebody like he did in the Peach Bowl, but that's that's not everything wide receivers have to do. Like You're very limited. That's all that you can do. You, if he wants to be a true 
polished all around wide receiver. You've got to be more physical going after those footballs. And he's just not a big dude. Like he's, he's a pretty slight guy. And I don't know if that's ever gonna be a strength of his in a way that I think it might possibly could be with CJ Smith, the way that he's worked on his body and the way he's developed over the past year. So I don't think that's crazy, man. I think it's bold, but I don't think it's crazy. All right, last question here. We'll get out of here on this one. Coming from Mr. Tomato Head. Great to hear from you again, Mr. Tomato Head. Let me, let me be clear. Mr. Tomato Head 49. Got to get the full name in there. But what did you think of special teams after week one, Curtis? But except for the, um, you know, we had a, Muse had a, at least one good return, which was nice to see. But kicking wise, I, I do question the strength of our kickers' legs this year. I mean, it remains to be seen. It's hard to know because they really have to kick anything. I just felt like in the punting game, it felt like he wasn't booming it as much yeah, as I was Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of really good things about Thorson all offseason long. And I, I, I kind of felt the same way. They weren't bad punts, but they weren't like – Yeah, because I remember punts. he had one that was like 54 yards and great hang time, so it wasn't bad. I just but remember – But Curry puts a lot more emphasis on hang time than he does distance. Yeah. And, and, Which, and I mean, see, that's the thing. It's it, You really don't know what they were coached to do, so it's hard to say that, you know – they didn't kick it far enough. Well, maybe that's kind. Of, you know, it just all depends. Yeah, yeah. But it's just it's hard to know. It's hard to yeah. know. Yeah, I just that was just the one thing I noticed. I just, especially like, I know Thorson's a different animal in the fact that he's not like a, he wasn't a true freshman last year. But you usually see a little bit of leg growth, so I don't know how much we're gonna see. Yeah, I think that's certainly something to watch. It remains to be seen for sure. I would say all in all, it wasn't a dominant special teams performance, but it also wasn't worrisome to me. I think that's how I would phrase it. But I think there's only so much you can tell. It's like anything, offensively, defensively, special teams against an opponent like this. Like I, I don't know how much you can tell. Now, if your kicker's missing 27-yard field goals, well, you can tell that. Like, that's a problem. But, I mean, yeah, Woodring hit one extra point off the upright. Didn't love to see that. I mean, it's true freshman. You want this guy to have confidence out there. You don't want that start you know, start at the yips in game one against UT Martin. So I hope that was just a, a minor little thing. It's not going to be a sign of things to come. You're right. I think Muse had one really nice return. I mean, this guy is going to – I think he's going to give us a jolt in the return game that we haven't had in a minute. I, I really believe that. I mean, Kiers was good for us. I think Muse – he's just different. He's got that shiftiness in a way that we haven't had. He's got great vision too. It's not just a shiftiness. That helps, obviously, but the vision is a big part of that as well. That's why, you know, he makes the plays when he gets an open space like that. So, yeah, I don't think it was, um, you know, a banner day for our special teams, but we didn't give him any big returns. Um, had a solid a solid return with Muse there. I think it was fine. I think it was okay, solid. Another one of those things that kind of remains to be seen as we get, get against better opponents. Going to actually, like, I don't know, maybe like return kicks against us. We'll find out. But I'm certainly not worried about it coming out of week one. All right, guys. I think that wraps it up for us today. We are not done this week, though. Charlie and I will be back tomorrow on Friday for our week two picks of the week. We had a solid start to last week, but now that we've seen some of these teams, it's going to be a big week two, so you don't want to miss out on that. But thank you guys for being here. Thank you to each and every one of you that took the time to send in questions. We appreciate you. We hope we adequately answered your questions, and we'll be back doing the exact same thing next week. So if you did not get a question in today, make sure to hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can also email us, podcast at gmail.com. Also find us on Instagram. Just look up Podcast, and we will take every question that we get and try to work them in some way, somehow. So Keep those coming, guys. Appreciate you. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.